This is The Guardian. Just a warning before we get started. On today's episode, we discuss themes of war and displacement. So please take care while listening. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. This is an emergency now. Welcome to special coverage of Afghanistan, where the Taliban is now effectively in control, including in the capital, Kabul. It's been two years today since the city of Kabul fell to the Taliban, leaving hundreds of thousands of Afghans desperate to flee. The takeover of the city has triggered deadly scenes of panic at the airport. Tens of thousands are trying to get through. At the front, they're being crushed. One of those who managed to escape was our colleague, journalist Shadi Khan Saif. But he's still waiting for his family to join him in Australia. Imagine yourself um, being separated from your family for two years. It, it, it's very difficult, of course, very difficult, almost impossible. And he's not alone. There are many thousands of Afghan families who've been separated and don't know when they're going to see each other again. Now, two years after he fled Afghanistan, Shadi's written a letter to his son, trying to explain why he had to leave him behind. Today, Shadi's letter. It's Tuesday, the 15th of August. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, I'll just start with the letter then. Okay. Dear Volo, it is time I confess that two dreadful long years back on this day when I left you aged five to fetch some new flower trees for our backyard, I had lied, as you have rightly realized and hence stopped talking to me. My little bulbul, I told you I'd hold very dear to my heart the songs that you used to hum while sipping the green tea in breaks when we used to do gardening together in our backyard. I hope you are as chatty, as melodious as you were and start speaking to me again, at least on the phone. When you broke your month's long silence to just call me a liar on the phone and went away, I was relieved more than anything because I did not want you to be in that shell of quiet loneliness and anger. It is healthy to speak out your mind and feelings. I have explanations, my son. The only reason I lied and used the excuse of flowers was to make you think of your favorite red roses and not miss me in life 
has since been on a rather thorny path for me and of course you. The decision to leave Afghanistan without your family must have been very difficult. You go through it a little bit in the letter. Do you, are you able to expand on that at all? That what led you to make that decision? Uh, yes. Um, so everybody have seen the visuals of uh, the Kabul airport. Mm. There was a mess over there. People were like, uh, you know, there was there was a deadly bomb blast. They killed more than hundred people, and then there was pushing and pulling, and you know. People were waiting outside the airport for like days in in like, you know, extremely difficult situation. I did not want any of my family to go through that. I just, I was hopeful that I will be able to pull them out uh, later. Just uh, ask them to go in hiding uh, at a safe place. And I took all the risks at the airport because I thought I can manage that. Uh, So I managed to flee. Mm. But... Things didn't work out as I was expecting. It took, it started taking longer and longer days and then weeks and then months. And here we are, two years on, no sign of uh, any progress. Mm. And this letter that you've written to your seven-year-old son, Walo, um, why did you decide to write this letter for The Guardian? I think Walo is... Uh, Wallo is a very different boy. Uh, he's very emotional. He's very se- sensitive. He, he understands uh, everything uh, in a much better way than I thought, than anybody could have thought. Because in the early few days, I reckon he was, you know, believing me that, all right, I'm just a way to get some flower trees. And then when time passed, he uh, suddenly uh, realized that, no, something has gone uh, very wrong. Uh, and then he stopped talking to me. Uh, he would not talk me talk uh, with me on phone for like uh, months and weeks. Mm. Last time he just told me that you lied to me in a very in a, I mean I, I I saw in his eyes in his in his words um, how to describe it. He, it it was very strong. It it hit me really hard, and I I needed to have an explanation for him. Uh, and of course, Guardian is a, is a good platform. Uh, I'm, he can't read it this at the moment, but I'll figure out a way to either translate it for him or maybe keep it for him. When hopefully he comes here, he can he can read it and perhaps he can forgive me. Mm. How long has it been since you've spoken to him? These days, I mean, I call my family almost every day. I talk to my wife and uh, the other kids. They just say hi and hello. Mm. Um, but he 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 tries to avoid it. He he has been running away from me for for quite a long while now. How long has it been, Shadi? Ah, um, months, I would say. Mm. I spoke to um, my wife and kids yesterday, and uh, again he he did the same. He just uh, look at the uh, at the phone, the visuals, and just uh, kind of I, I really tried hard to. Talk to him, but he wouldn't. He would just, you know, mm. say a quick hello and then just run away. And as you say, it's been two years, and your children aren't able to go to school, and they live with your wife. How are they? How are they coping being apart from you for so long? As I said, it's just the hope uh, that's keeping them going. Other than that, they're living a miserable life. It's, uh, I mean, 
I would I would say anybody um, listening, they could just for a more brief moment uh, pretend and you know think about themselves in our position. It'll make it very clear for them. Imagine yourself um, being separated from your family for two years. Imagine yourself being a woman with kids uh, waiting for a visa in a country like Afghanistan for two years. So it's it, it it's very difficult. Of course, very difficult, almost impossible. What is life like here for you without your family? How are you coping being apart from them and starting life here? Mentally, I'm in the same situation. I'm also just holding on because of uh, a hope to be united with them. But of course, I'm in a different, uh, so to say, I'm in a different prison, so to say. I'm, I'm able to freely roam around. I'm keeping myself extremely busy. I'm trying to work seven days uh, Hmm. just anywhere just to be in a you know environment where i'm forced to work i'm forced to just you know be busy not think about them uh, too much and go home exhausted just sleep and then come back to work i know that you spend a lot of time trying to make arrangements for your family to join you here in australia what does that involve day to day what are some of the things that you're doing at the moment so i've applied my uh, application for the family reunion uh, and it was accepted months ago uh, as a valid application since then i haven't i mean i there's little i can do uh, apart from just waiting uh, i've uh, tried to uh, send across a message uh, highlighting the urgency of uh, my situation uh, highlighting the uh, vulnerability of the kids over there but it seems nothing is working uh, so I'm I'm just I'm just sitting in and um, every day morning every morning I just check my emails and see if there's any uh, update and there's any message from the uh, from the government about the visa. There's I think there's I'm not sure if there's anything more I can do. How are you feeling about this delay? I think it's it's very difficult and uh, I'm coping. I'm trying to cope, but of course everyone has a breaking point. I. I I'm afraid that you know we, we might hit the breaking point very soon because it's it's getting sometimes it gets too tough uh, mm. when I think too much about it is it, it does affect everything um, when you're far away from your loved ones and you're not there when when they need you and they're not here when you need when you you need them it's it's uh, it's not good for uh, for a healthy relationship right. My life here is, I mean, it's 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 a very um, it's it's little like sleepwalking. I I I I've given up on on planning certain things for them. It's I've gone into a mental state where I'm just kind of very um, frozen kind of person. So I just I've I because I have no idea when they're going to come. There's no timeline in the uh, this whole application process. Few more weeks, few more months. Right. So it makes me really frustrated. I mean, it's it's it's, it's not that difficult a task to mm. handle, and you know, leave people in a disarray for like months and years. You're in touch with others in the Afghan community in Melbourne. How are they coping with this? Are, are many of them waiting for family members to join them as well? Of course, yeah. That's that's one thing that kind of uh, makes me think that I'm not alone in this situation. I've seen people in like similar situation in in the community. There are so many. Some people have uh, their parents uh, left in Afghanistan. Some people have their kids and wife and everybody. 
So it's a, it's a very uh, sad situation to see so many uh, so-called new Australians living that kind of life. That's not a good start for a, a community to be integrated into the society. It's uh, And uh, I do want to mention one more thing, that if we are very thankful for uh, the Australian government for the hope and uh, safety that uh, we were provided uh, after the fall of Kabul. But yeah, still, I mean, you want your family to be with you to take full advantage of this beautiful country and you know the freedoms that you have here the opportunities that you have here to fully uh, exploit that what are you looking forward to doing with them once they are here there are so many things when i was new here i wherever i would go i would imagine like having my my family around me and what they would think about it they would love every uh, bit of this um but with time and slowly and gradually, I stopped thinking about that. But now I can I can imagine again because I said I have not given up on. Um, I hope they will join me soon. So there's such a um, nice uh, places to go. There's a freedom here, uh, unlike unfortunately Afghanistan. They will love it. They will love every bit of it. Hmm. You love the sparrows and butterflies visiting our backyard in Kabul, there is an abundance of all sorts of colourful birds here. I'm not sure about the government, but the people are nice and friendly too. You would meet some of my new best buddies here who have been very supportive. Anyways, I don't want to raise too much of your hopes, Wallo, as I have no idea when the authorities are going to issue you and your mum and your siblings the visas. You please don't think too much about this all the time, but just keep gardening and humming like a bulbul as much as you can. With love, your father, Shadi Khan. Thanks so much, Shadi. That's beautiful. Um, and can I? What is a bulbul? Bulbul is a bulbul is a very beautiful, very uh, very chatty little bird um, that's very common in. Uh, Afghanistan and you know Middle East so it's a bird it's a bird it's a singing bird and so is that your nickname for Wallow because he's he's a little bit like that bird yeah he loves singing he's like a bulbul next Guardian Australia reporter Ben Doherty on why Afghan citizens are still waiting for humanitarian visas Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. 
So Ben, our colleague Shadi has been waiting for two years for his family to join him here in Australia, but he hasn't had any update on when the visas will actually be granted. Is that common among people that you've spoken to who are in a similar position to Shadi? Sadly, it is a common position. And simply put, the demand is overwhelming to rescue people from Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. And that is a very, very difficult thing. Ben Doherty is a reporter for Guardian Australia. The situation that countries like Australia, like the US, like the UK have left behind in Afghanistan is incredibly precarious for so many people. And there are, in this country, in Australia right now, hundreds of families like Shadi's with fathers and husbands or other family members who've faced particularly acute persecution because of the work they did or positions they held, and they were forced to flee. And they've now been separated from their families for, as you say, two years. And it needs to be remembered that in so many of these cases, that displacement, that need to flee was as a result of Australia's actions. This is not a disconnected part of the world from our own. Australia has a moral obligation here. We spent two decades in that country committing troops to that country. Australia made significant sacrifices in search of peace in that place. But at the same time, it also made commitments to the people of Afghanistan, to translators who served alongside Australian troops, who wore Australian uniforms, to government officials who served the mission of Republican Afghanistan. And they were assured that foreign forces were there and they were committed to bringing peace and prosperity and stability to a land that had known little but war for generations. Well, it's been two years since Kabul fell to the Taliban. How many Afghan families have been granted visa in Australia since then? So the figures are these. Since the fall of Kabul on August 15, 2021, a little more than 13,000 permanent humanitarian visas have been granted to Afghan citizens under the what they call the Offshore Humanitarian Program. 8,000 of those visas were in the last financial year. Australia announced last week, the Australian government announced it was increasing its humanitarian program from 17,875 to 20,000. And Within that figure, there's a dedicated number of places for Afghan citizens. It's 4,125. Sorry, there are a lot of numbers here. But what needs to be kept in context with those numbers is that the demand far outstrips that. It's vastly more than that. There have been more than 43,000 offshore humanitarian visa applications, and that represents not 43,000 people, but more than 198,000 people, 200,000 people. That's 10 times Australia's total humanitarian intake every year. And as you say, in the case of just refugees from Afghanistan, their demand is is much greater than the number of visas that are available. You've written about this issue since the fall of Kabul. What has the government said about the, the delay that many say they're facing at the moment? The government says this, there is limited capacity for humanitarian resettlement and Australia cannot resettle all who apply for a refugee and humanitarian visa. The government says there are a very large number of applicants who are subject to persecution or substantial discrimination, many with close family in Australia. But the government says there are practical difficulties too, bureaucratic difficulties. Australia requires that people who are granted visas are who they say they are. Australia requires medical checks to come to this country. So there are issues around identity. You can't do biometric data collection in Afghanistan. You've never been able to. It's often unsafe to get medical checks in Kabul. The Taliban watch these medical facilities very, very closely. And physically getting out of Afghanistan, whether that's flying out of the airport in Kabul, whether that's getting over a border into Iran, into Pakistan, that can be risky as well. Like, where does that leave people like Afghans like Shadi, who are now here but are just sort of living a life in limbo? He kind of described his life as being frozen in time while he waits for his family to join him. It's an extraordinarily difficult situation that 
so many Afghan families are facing, that they have been separated and separated for an indefinite period of time. I think the not knowing is really difficult. And I appreciate the difficulties the Australian government have in facing it, but this is Shadi's family. This are his children. These are the young years that he'll never get back. And people in Afghanistan are suffering immensely. The Taliban's denied women and girls the rights to education, the rights to work, to even move around, to go where they want to go. We've seen documented acts of torture, extrajudicial executions by the Taliban, and Taliban rule has grown steadily more oppressive, and people are suffering even beyond that. This is such a critical issue for not only the Australian government, but governments around the world to address this ongoing humanitarian crisis. If this episode has raised any issues for you, please remember you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. They're available 24 hours a day for support. That was Ben Doherty, reporter for Guardian Australia. You also heard earlier from our colleague, journalist Shadi Khan Saif. I recommend you read the letter which Shadi wrote to his son. It was published in full on theguardian.com and it's a beautiful account of his relationship with his son and his family's story. We'll post a link to that letter on the full story page. That's it for today. This episode was produced by James Milsom, myself and Joe Koning, who also did the sound design, mixing and wrote our theme music. The executive producer was Hannah Parks. I'm Jane Lee. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.